A new United Nations report warns the impacts of climate change are increasing and inevitable. Experts say that we have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. Temperatures in the Arctic have warmed about two to three times the global average. It will be very difficult and impossible for our children to control climate change. This is South of Two Degrees, and I am your host, Brian Barnes. It is so good to have you with us today on the only podcast dedicated to bringing unfiltered scientific research to the forefront of the climate conversation. We've got a great show for you today. So my friends, once more, into the fray. Thanks for joining me again this week. And today we are going to build off the conversation we had last week regarding the fires of the taiga of North America and how the Canadian Fire Weather Index, or FWI, doesn't accurately capture carbon emissions. For those that tuned in last week, you now should understand the argument for a bottoms-up approach to fire forecasting as opposed to the historically top-down 4321 approach. And if you missed it, fear not. Every South of Two Degrees episode can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcast or your favorite listening platform, as well as on the website southof2degrees.org. Okay, so back to today's show. While building off of last week, I also want to expand on a note made at the beginning of the show back in episode 10 on polar amplification, where I mentioned the then-recent news that Arctic temperatures in the small Siberian town of Verhyonks had spiked to 100.4 degrees F or 38 degrees C. So today I want to look at that event further, and for the consistent listeners on this show, you can recognize that the temperature spike was an extreme weather event. But the angle I want to approach it from today is that of the trends leading up to it, the specific conditions that gave rise to it, and finally a look at where the Siberian Arctic is going in a world of anthropogenic climate change. With that, let's start our story today, just north of the taiga, but on the other side of the globe, and above that famous line at 66 degrees, 33 minutes, 48.3 seconds north in the Siberian Arctic. While 2020 has been, well, shall we say a unique year for all of us, Russia has experienced a significant and prolonged heat wave, giving rise to record high temperatures. Now, the Earth has warmed 1.1 degrees C above the 50-year span from 1850 to 1900, often denoted as pre-industrial levels. However, it isn't warming evenly. Through polar amplification, Siberia is warming faster. However, you have to be careful here. According to the data from Copernicus, which is the European Union's Earth Observation Program, temperatures in Siberia, while trending warmer, can have large month-to-month and even year-to-year variations. And while the area is prone to temperature anomalies, persistence of higher-than-average temperatures month-over-month is highly unusual. It is because of the unusualness of this trend that a collaboration of scientists from France, Switzerland, the Netherlands, the UK, Germany, and Russia got together and published the paper we're looking at today titled Prolonged Siberian Heat of 2020 on the 15th of July of this year. So what is normal, if you will, for Siberia, you ask? Well, the usual May temperature in the Siberian Arctic is approximately 1 degree C. However, using on-ground data from the Tarkosail station, May was 8.8 degrees C above average, and by the ERA-5 reanalysis model, it was 9.2 degrees C above normal. 
While this is, in of itself, highly noteworthy, it is when we back up beyond just May and look at the average January through May temperature, specifically as compared to the 1951 to 1980 average, that 2020 really stands out. Why, you ask? How about the fact that 2020 was, from January through May, 5.3 degrees C above that 30-year average? You know, when we're discussing as a singular global community the importance of keeping global temperatures below 1.5 degrees C of temperature rise above a 50-year benchmark at the turn of the 20th century, yet we see a 5.3 degrees C rise over the mid-20th century mark, it should be a spot of very real concern. To be fair, we are discussing an anomaly between the bounds of weather and climate, but it is the overall trend that should worry you. As we don't have October numbers yet, according to NOAA, 2020, January through September, currently ranks as the second hottest year on record in September, the hottest globally. In fact, the seven hottest Septembers on record have all occurred in the last, you guessed it, seven years. So before we move on from the trends leading up to the record Arctic temperature and dive into the specific conditions that gave rise to the anomaly, I want to touch on something I mentioned a second ago, and that needs a bit of explanation. Specifically, I want to address the ERA-5. In the briefest of terms, the ERA-5 is the fifth-generation reanalysis tool created by the ECMWF, or European Center for Medium-Range Weather Forecasts. In layman's terms, it's an extremely high-tech algorithm that allows scientists to look at the weather in a 31-square-kilometer area all the way back to 1950. Like the station at Verhyonsk, which was established in 1869 and has had consistent readings taken since 1926, individual stations can go back quite a ways. But what about the area in between? This algorithm can determine that, and in the most basic of ways, think of it like a jigsaw puzzle. The model looks at the pieces it has in the data, and based off of modern physics, weather forecasting, and a bit of simply matching up the pieces, is able to build an accurate representation of the weather at any 31 square kilometer grid for the past 70 years. Think of it as a 4.8 million piece jigsaw puzzle of Siberia that changes by the hour. Easy enough, right? I'm sure it's something you can knock out over a three martini lunch. Anyway, back to the Siberian heat wave of 2020. Now that we've looked at the trends leading up to the record-breaking temperature on June 20th, let's continue with the second part of today's show and look at the specific conditions that gave rise to the searing heat in a town known for its winters that are often well below negative 40. Cool part about negative 40 is you don't have to say Celsius or Fahrenheit because at negative 40, they're the same. Keep that one in your back pocket for the next Zoom trivia night, huh? Okay. So what specific conditions gave rise to this extreme weather event? As we have already noted, it started with significantly warmer temperatures in the region, and these were attributed to a much lower pressure system than normal for that time of year over the Arctic Ocean. You see, low pressure systems in the winter are typically associated with warmer and wetter temperatures as the low pressure inhibits clear skies and traps heat in the lower atmosphere. However, this flips in the summer as clear skies associated with high-pressure systems allow for increased solar radiation, especially when you have near-persistent sunshine and subsequently higher temperatures. 
Summer temps are only exacerbated by a warmer winter as it gives rise to an earlier snowmelt, and as bare soil absorbs more radiation due to the reflective nature of snow, the lower atmosphere only warms more. So basically, what we had was the perfect confluence of conditions over the first half of 2020. A low persisted during the winter to be replaced by a high right as the spring gave way to the Arctic summer, allowing for a near-continuous heating event. I can just hear you saying, well, the way you describe it, Brian, it doesn't seem like the normal setup. Did anything give rise to those conditions? And as I know you really ask that, I'll respond by saying that is a great question that you just asked. The current theory, and I say theory is, I can't say with utter certainty and I haven't read a scientific paper that can do so either, is that there was a cutoff in the North Pacific High in early June, coupled with a persistent low growing over central Siberia, which was blocking the polar jet stream. As a result, a high-pressure ridge built just east of Berhyonsk in eastern Siberia. Now, if you remember from your primary school earth science class, high-pressure systems in the northern hemisphere turn clockwise and lows anti- or counterclockwise, with the two systems sitting next to each other and the high being powered by the tropical southeastern Asian monsoons, a virtual heat conveyor belt was set up to channel warm air directly from the tropics far into the north. Now, if you're having trouble visualizing this, pretend your right hand is a high and your left hand is a low, and place the backs of your hands together with your thumbs pointing at the ground. Now, roll both your hands slowly outward. Your thumbs should pop up and point towards the ceiling, and your palms be together. You see how that works? Now imagine your thumbs were in the warm air of the tropics and your pinky in the colder air of the polar region. See how when you rotate those two systems, you suddenly have your warm thumbs sitting up in the Arctic Circle? Cool? Cool. Now put your hands down before whomever's around you starts to question your sanity. Now you can see it was then this transport of warm air that helped push the temperature over 100 degrees F in the Arctic, smashing the previous record. Okay, now with the trends prior to the spike and the direct conditions giving rise to it out of the way, let's tackle the third section of today's show, specifically where the Siberian Arctic is headed in a world under anthropogenic forcings. Let's start by bringing in the fires we discussed last week in the North American taiga. Siberia is no different, as there is a significant increase in climate that gives rise to fires. In fact, by the 25th of June, 7,900 square miles had burned in Siberia. That's a 16.2% increase from 2019 levels. And to all the climate critics out there who want to place all the blame on poor forest management, keep in mind these are namely wild areas. We're talking about 8 people per square mile. The U.S. is 92.9 in comparison. As a wild area, poor forest management doesn't really play a part, so you can't just blame someone else and then turn a blind eye when you have a year-over-year increase like this. What is even more significant, though, is the direct finds of the paper we analyzed today. To help them hit home, I'll reiterate them to you in bullet form as direct quotes. Specifically, quote, one, The result showed with high confidence that the January to June 2020 prolonged heat was made at least 600 times more likely as a result of human-induced climate change. 2. We note that even with climate change, the prolonged heat was a very rare event expected to occur less than once every 130 years. 3. 
The results for the town of Verhyansk showed that the record-breaking June temperatures were also made much more likely, upwards of many thousands of times, though there is less confidence in this result. 4. Combining the values from the models and weather observations show that for the large region, the same six months hot spell would have been at least 2 degrees Celsius cooler had it occurred in 1900 instead of 2020. For Verhyansk, maximum June temperatures increased due to climate change by at least 1 degree C compared to 1900. 5. By 2050, the Siberian region could expect to have temperatures increase by at least 2.5 degrees C compared to 1900, but this increase could be as high as 7 degrees C. 6. This would correspond to an additional warming of at least 0.5 degrees and possibly up to around 5 degrees by 2050 as compared to today. End quote. Before we go today, though, I want to mention a few quick things. First and foremost, as it's on the mind of every American and honestly a lot of people around the world, the United States has an election on Tuesday that is, to put it lightly, significant. Yes, I have agreed not to discuss politics on this show, and the only reason I bring it up is that it directly impacts this show and the work we are trying to do. If the election goes one way, the United States will officially leave the Paris Accord. That is a fact, plain and simple. And if it goes the other way, we will be right back in. There is no gray area here. It's one or the other. There are grave consequences to the path we choose, and I want my fellow Americans to know I feel your anxiety, as do your friends, even the ones you have never met but are joined by this show around the world. In brighter news, South of Two Degrees is planning two significant announcements coming up, one in the next week and the second in a month or so, so please stay tuned. I really think they'll be of interest and a source of excitement for you. And on that note, That wraps up another episode of South of Two Degrees. I hope you got something from today's show. And as always, I look forward to having you back again with me next week, hopefully in a less anxious world. And aside from checking out all the latest information on the website, blog, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, do this for me. Tell one other person about this show in the next week. Have at least one conversation about climate change with someone else. And above all, Keep it south, two degrees.